Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. folks, welcome into On to Waveland. This is the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic, off-season edition. It's officially, I mean, I guess it's not the baseball off-season, but it's the off-season for the Cubs because yesterday was the final game of the Cubs season, the first, quote, meaningless game of the Cubs season. And look, if you want to take some solace away from that or some moral victory or some happiness or joy that... It was meaningful for 161 games. I won't take that away from you. It's possible I will get there in a few weeks. Uh, but for today, I'm just prefacing everything with I'm not there yet. And we'll talk about how the season became what it was, the different chunks of the year. Um, and we'll get into some of the immediate topics uh, that I imagine Cubs fans are thinking about as the offseason begins. Uh, let's start, I suppose, with uh, the collapse. Maybe I'll start right there. Fair to call what happened to the Cubs in September a collapse? Like we were predicting a few weeks ago, or we were talking a, a couple weeks ago about the other years that, that people remember, right? Like people, we Cubs fans, we remember 2004. We remember 2019. Um, and I'm just curious, do you think years from now, that's that will be the 2023 is included in the same breath as those. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see how you can't include it. I mean, this is a pretty epic collapse. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to include the full context of, like, where they are in the buildup. I don't think that matters when you just talk about what happened this past month. I, I mean, it, you can't, like... I mean, I think when you want to talk about the organization as a whole, we can separate it all and, and discuss this. We'll we'll do it plenty in the winter, but it's impossible not to just ignore what what just happened, right? Like when when what happened happened, like <laughs> happens. You you there's so many things you need to discuss, right? And there's so many things that you may say like through that like all of us may have said while it was happening or before it happened. Like, oh, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Like, everything needs to be examined now, right? That doesn't mean that uh, you trade away all the players or Jed Hoyer gets fired or David Ross gets fired, but all those things need to be examined. What just happened? How did it happen? What sort of changes need to be made to make sure that that doesn't happen? Uh, again, uh, it's – I mean, it's it, there's so many things you can go over. Uh, when you look at the final standings – it's it, I mean, it really is. There's so many different numbers, so many different things you could point out that 
I just have to imagine are gut-wrenching for fans. Um, how many times on this podcast did we talk about that Miami-DC trip? We've been talking about it for months, and that Miami series was the difference. One, we said yeah, it as it was happening. As it was like, happening. We literally said we, it we kept, as it was happening. I mean, how many times do we keep saying, like, man, it would be really unfortunate if that's the difference. Oh, you don't want that to come back and bite you. And and I really, when, when saying it, I didn't think it would be one win that would change it all. I really thought, like, if anything, it would be, like, Man, that, that that slump at that time or, or those whatever it was, one in six trip, that type of one in six trip is is the type of thing that uh, pushes you from buying to selling at the deadline. Right. I just like that. It came down to one clutch hit not falling or one pitch not being made or one defensive mistake. The extra innings game in Arizona, Dansby Swanson makes that catch or Dansby Swanson knocks in on an extra run. Uh the Cubs are going to the playoffs, right? <laughs> like that's those are the types of things. That's how tiny it was. So uh, I get you, Brett, when you say you can't you can't appreciate this season right now. You can't get over. <laughs> that's why it's one little moment, thousands of little moments. One of those goes ro- differently, and the Cubs are in the playoffs, and our conversation is completely different today. So I don't know how you're supposed to just you know accept that. I don't know how. We're supposed to, right now, be breaking down the organization as a whole. I don't think you can do that. I, it's it's not fair. You have to you have to look at what just happened and accept that this was an utter collapse. Well, this was a collapse, and this was a failure. And that's not even like having a hot take. That is listening to the people involved in it when. I spoke with Ian Happ yesterday morning. He's like, this is a horrible feeling. Uh, the night before, Nico Horner just flat out saying, you know, yeah, sure, there were some nice things, but, like, this is not the standard that had been set uh, and that the standard that they aspire to. Uh, I think a refreshing thing about David Ross is him saying, like, we did not meet our expectations at all. And he was not willing to go there in terms of, you know, highlighting the bright spots and looking ahead to the future, figuring out what they need. Like, it was absolutely within their grasp. They had us all looking up for synonyms of collapse, whether it was cratering or teetering on the brink or, uh, you know, fading. Like, it was just all of those together. And I think... You know, we all know there is monumental interest in the Cubs because it is such a generational thing. And it is special because people have all these memories stored away and they make these connections. And so this doesn't mean the Cubs are are doomed next year, but it, it just cannot be unseen. And that starts with David Ross. It certainly includes Jed Hoyer, who will be thinking about all sorts of, uh, you know, maybe moves they could have done here or there or not. Um, I think even, I thought it was interesting yesterday that I don't think Tom Ricketts was at all trolling Cody Bellinger, but he was like, Cody had a great summer, which I don't know if he meant excluding September. Like, that kind of, I think, is another data point that, 
can't be ignored either. And so, you know, it, it was just a an all-time Cubs collapse. I mean, 2016 certainly changes it. There's not that weight anymore. But just like ob- objectively speaking, just uh, a collapse and an organizational failure on multiple levels. I think where some people struggle with this conversation is appreciating the distinction between how you describe what happened and how you ascribe blame to it. Because it is, there's nothing wrong with saying this was a tremendous collapse. Because it was. That is what happened. It is just factually correct to say that the Cubs were in easy playoff position and then a lot of bad shit happened that dropped them out of the playoffs. But that doesn't mean you're saying these are losers, that these are bad players, that the that that it would have been that, that these aren't competitive games that they're playing, that there aren't bounces that just didn't go their way, that there is absolutely no luck involved, that, that you're not saying any of these things. That's that's a, I think, more nuanced discussion. And that gets into so many layers of how a season plays out of over 162. You know, it's not it's never one drop in the outfield. It's never one hit that doesn't fall in. It's. It's the choices you make about a roster. It's the guys at the end of the bench that you're playing in April that maybe it didn't work out. It's it's a pitch call in a 2-1 count in May that doesn't go your way and that flips a game. It's 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 a million tiny things that you can point to that had an impact on the way a season plays out. And within that, there is some blame. There are mistakes made. There are poor performances that should have been better, that could have been better, choices that weren't made that could have been made, bad choices that were made that shouldn't have been made. But it's so hard when you're trying to look at it with the widest possible lens of 162 and talk about what happened down the stretch and get into all that stuff. Like, it's just, we're not made to hold 8,000 data points in our head as humans. We process and remember things in a much more narrative fashion and a much uh, more simpler to digest fashion. That's just the reality of how this year is going to be discussed. I mean, I set up the question, obviously, but I think unquestionably this year is going to be remembered as, uh, you know, I can already tell you day after I could tell you how it's going to be described. It's going to be described as a year where for a while the Cubs performed better than people thought they would. And then they, choked down the stretch that is how it's going to be discussed and remembered for years to come and and i almost want to set that up now because i'd like to crystallize how i'm going to frame it you know as someone who is both a fan with passion but also someone who covered it and i think i think it's a little more layered than that we don't have to get into the eight thousand data points that impact but it's like you know this is a team that had a really bad stretch in may You know, they weren't they didn't come out of the gate other than those first 14 games or whatever as this great, completely well composed, obviously ready, obviously great team. They went through struggles and then they got hot. There was a month and a half, two month stretch where they were really hot. The balls were falling in. The the bullpen was really clicking. And then they struggled down the stretch for multiple reasons. And I think 
I don't want to, I neither want to lionize that they beat expectations this year, nor do I want to uh, say that this season was entirely about three bad weeks. You know, I, I, I want to be able to be more nuanced on the road, but I just, I don't know. Do we do that with 2019? Do we even remember? That's, that's not that long ago. Do we remember the things that went into so, the way September collapsed? I don't really. So, I mean, if I, I don't, I don't think we need to go down this road fully right now. But context does matter in a sense. This is the build up to something. This is not the end, like the middle or the end of something. So, 2019 is very different than 2023 in full context, right? That was you're talking about the like the tail end of that you know the that core of of a championship ball club um i i think you talk to a lot of people with the cubs they look at it 2018 and 19 as two like two of those years where it's like those are huge missed opportunities i don't i, I think i think if you if we are a decade removed, you know, in the future, and you're talking to Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins and all those guys, and they're acting like 2023 was the huge missed opportunity, then they screwed up, probably, right? Yeah. Uh, like that's so that's so again, I don't, I don't want to dismiss how big this is. Like this was a big, this is, this is a miss. This is like I appreciate that Tom Ricketts didn't say, like, didn't try and sugarcoat it. He doesn't want to get in the habit of of saying like seasons that uh, that where you miss the playoffs that it's acceptable, right? Like that's good. So let, let's make sure we set high standards for this team. Like this is this should be like the low end, right? Just missing the playoffs. These should be the ones that we're like where fans are up in arms and media is super critical because that's what like the expectations need to be high. I. Uh, we said it months ago right like we are we too easy on this team are we too easy on this organization for even allowing uh 21 and 22 like to be acceptable uh no more of that right like 21 and 22 can't be the low points these types of seasons are the low points so they get that they deserve the criticism they earn the criticism uh they're not completely failing as an organization but this year they did not achieve their goal, so it's a failure. Like they wanted to make the playoffs, that was their goal. Uh, that doesn't mean like uh, they're a bumbling organization. This isn't the Chicago Bears, okay? <laughs> this is not like things. Things are can, you can you're you're allowed to go and 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 be optimistic for the future, but you also have to accept that what just happened is a failure. I, I think we we need to separate those two things. So, like the future do, is not determined by this failure. But this failure does matter, and it was a stepping stone that could have, like, just at least built some goodwill and and made people feel a lot more different. It's remarkable that if they lose the next two games, if they made it and they lose the next two games, we're just really speaking differently about the entire season, right? And like, so, but I mean, reality is reality, so we have to accept these things and talk about them as they happened. I think Tom Ricketts is a very measured thoughtful baseball owner for the most part and uh it's the nature of standing in the middle of the press dining room at uh, american family fields 
press box and ans- doing a group interview. So some of the questions go here and there and whatever. But I mean, clearly David Ross couldn't have done a great job. And Jed Hoyer can't be like the best president in baseball if the team just absolutely collapsed in September. So like the heat does turn up a little bit when the team fails like this, when it's three consecutive years as a big market team of not making the playoffs. Uh, Clearly it's playoffs or bust next year. I think some of the patience and latitude just changes a little bit. I think it is time to talk about David Ross and like, and think about him in the way that the front office does. Like, I think I never get the sense of like, oh man, this guy's killing us. But clearly, a front office and a coaching staff are never going to agree on every single decision. And when the team just face plants with the playoffs and grass for the biggest time of the year, of course it changes the calculus just a little bit or the perception. Now, having said that, Saeed and I have gone over this a lot. Like, we don't talk about him as on the hot seat because that is not how he is viewed internally. And you have to take a step back and think like, hmm, the owner of the team says he's our guy. The most important, wealthiest players in the clubhouse love this guy. (laughs) The guy who runs the roster hired him. And what Rossi is great at is one tricking people into saying Rossi. Like I don't, I can't believe I just <laughs> said that. But like, he's great at shielding the front office from all of the stuff they don't want to deal with. What and he his interpersonal skills cover up for a lot of the uh, distance that the front office has to take to these uh, situations. I know. That if you read a clip on Twitter or a clipped soundbite on Marquee, it's going to sound like Ross is the most stubborn guy in the world. Like, we're going to run with the guys that got us here. That is not how he acts at all with, like, anyone else in the organization. That a lot of these decisions he makes are with heavy input from all these other stakeholders in the organization. And, you know, I do think a, what is it, a nine-win improvement from the year before uh, is important. And I think, and this is, maybe I'm too close to it, but if I'm hiring a manager, the biggest thing that is important to me is, like, do you have the credibility and the gravitas to kind of run a clubhouse? Like, I don't really care as much about these little tiny like coin flip stuff that should even out over the course of 162 and i think the bad managers are just painfully obvious you can see it with the chicago white Sox. um i think you could see i don't know if rick Rodriguez was a bad manager but i think there were the cubs wouldn't have fired him after one year if they didn't have like reservations about how he could kind of take the next step with the organization and that um when The president of baseball operations says, like, our preparation um, and day-to-day focus has been A+. Uh, That's a direct reflection on the manager, and that's something that you'd want to uh, 
uh, maintain and build upon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. I also don't think we should forget that this is a manager that it's not just the Jed Hoyer selected David Ross to be the manager. It's a guy who was kind of groomed post-playing to be the manager. He was seen as a managerial prospect. And we talk about how development for prospects isn't linear. I don't know that it's not the same for managers. I don't know that you can't think about it the same way that he wouldn't take some things away from this year and be better next year for it. Now, that's not apologizing for the decisions made that I disagree with. I agree with Mooney that over the course of 162, the in-game stuff, the micro stuff, it gets overblown by fans, by media, by by everyone. But that's because it's what we can see. You know, it's, it's what we can wrap our hands around. And so I will not take back anything, any criticisms levied throughout the year. And there were more this year than... A lot of years. A lot of times I'm pretty, I don't know if deferential is the right word, but I recognize how much we don't know about what's going on that informs a manager's decisions. And I'm, I'm pretty amenable to to a lot of stuff where I'm like, well, that could have gone either way. And okay. I feel like there were quite a few this year where I, I had most of the inputs available and I just straight up disagreed with, with what was done. Um, But the reality is if the season had played out a different way in terms of of the order of operations you know if the Cubs had gotten hot at the end of the year to get so close you know they were they were seven out or whatever when September began and they got so close like we would be like man David Ross is such a good man I'm not saying we like on this podcast I'm saying sort of the the story about him would be man what a great manager David Ross is he kept the clubhouse together he kept his guys grinding it's the stuff we said last year When the Cubs, you know, sold off and then they had a nice hot run at the end and it was like, boy, he keeps his guys prepared and focused and all that stuff that's obviously still true. It's obviously still the case this year. And so when Tom Ricketts is saying uh, out loud (laughs) that that, uh, David Ross is our guy and, and, you know, I've done this long enough to see careful communicators 
can put that in a way that leaves open some things, you know, that like it, you don't have to answer that way. And I think Tom Ricketts is smart enough and has done this long enough to know that if he's answering questions about David Ross in that way, it's either because he's nudging Jed Hoyer, which I really don't think is the case because he, he's not shown a penchant to be involved in baseball ops in that way. Or he already knows that, of course, this isn't a conversation that David Ross is the manager next year. And I tend to think that's it. I think, we can and should have these evaluative conversations about David Ross's performance, acknowledging that 75% of the importance of a manager is stuff that happens behind closed doors. And I think he's probably pretty good at that. I I just think we get a sense that he's probably pretty good at that stuff. Um, We can have those conversations, but I don't think it's going to matter because I think he's coming back next year. I think we're going to find out this week in Jed Hoyer's season end presser that of course, David Ross is coming back. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this, talking to Patrick about it, talking to people around the Cubs, around baseball, to try and get different perspectives, not just on Ross alone, but the best way to evaluate managers and and what sort of things do people look at when they complain about their own team's managers? Because I know plenty of scouts that are frustrated with the manager that their team has, right? So, like, what what are the things that you're looking at? What are the things that frustrate you? Um, first of all, like, there's just no way to get around the importance of how David Ross handles the clubhouse. I know fans don't want to hear it. They think it's an excuse But these are the types of things that are so incredibly important to front offices. Patrick explained it. They don't want to deal with that crap. Take care of your business. Take care of your team. We don't want to hear about little issues in the clubhouse. Fix it yourself. That's your job. Okay? We'll work through the in-game stuff together. That's, That's the partnership we have. The rest is your job. Take care of it and your coaching staff. David Ross handles that so well. They were 10 games under 500 and got to 12 games above. People wonder, like, who are these strategical geniuses? Gabe Kapler would have finished with this roster with 95 losses. He has not left a clubhouse that likes him, okay? Those players (laughs) don't play hard for him because they, they all he does is just irritate the hell out of him, out of them. That Philly's clubhouse was a disaster, and now the Giants' clubhouse is a disaster. I mean, go read the the stuff that people write about, like those beat writers are writing about what happened in San Francisco. Uh, like, there are so many managers that have been fired over the years, and it like the fans think it's because that he didn't handle the bullpen well. Yeah, it is because he didn't handle the bullpen well, but the all the relievers ended up hating that manager. Like, there's there are like. It's always about the clubhouse, especially now. The past 10 years, the way front offices look at managers is very different than when we were growing up. I was looking at managers of the year, by the way. This is like a (laughs) a sidetrack, but those are some of the worst managers in the game, too. What the hell are we doing when we vote for managers of the year? These are some bad managers, guys that never got jobs again. Like, just shocking. How is Craig Council never won manager of the year? Like, this guy is never. is going to be the most sought-after free agent this winter. That Like, ultimately, so I'm saying all these positive things. Like, th- this is really important. Like, I need to emphasize that that stuff's important. But also, like... I, I look back and and I like I'm not sure how good 
David Ross is with the in-game stuff. I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. And, and there are a lot of weird things that happened with the bullpen this year, right? A lot of things didn't work as expected. Brandon Hughes, Keegan Thompson, Brad Boxberger, Michael Fulmer early in the year. Uh, none of the kids from the minors came up and, and were effective. Like a lot were expected of them and none, none became reliable relievers. Uh, it was it was four guys that he figured out in the end, middle of May, end of May. And and that first of all, that's like, do you want to say that's on him? Is that on the organization? I'm not sure, right? Like, is that Jed's fault? Is that David Ross's fault? This is the first time we've had 162 games to evaluate his use of a bull, of the bullpen. I think there were guys that uh, by the end of the year they they were overused. They were used too much, right? Like, like how many innings do you want a month, right? You want to get to like what? Like once you're pushing seventy over the season, that's 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 a lot, right? So what is that? That's a lot. What is that? That's twelve innings 12 a month. A month. So, like, go look at monthly breakdowns. There's there's a lot of guys put past that with the Cubs, but there's a lot of guys past that all throughout baseball. So baseball's <laughs> different. There's just so much to like. I'm still trying to process. Did he screw up the way he used the bullpen? And if he didn't, what should he have done? I mean, and if he did, then what should he have done differently? Here's one answer that I don't think fans would accept in the moment. You need to accept to lose some games that you lead in August, especially. Post-trade deadline. To risk it, yeah. yeah. You you need to accept that, like, I'm not sending out Alzali today. I'm going to take the heat from the media. I'm going to take the heat from the fans. That's really hard to do. That is incredibly hard to do. I don't know... If there is a manager that is willing to do that right now, I just don't know if there is. But those are the types of things that those are the types of answers I've come up with because I don't know what else he could have done because the bullpen was kind of screwed. But I still want to see more like this is one year. We have one year to evaluate him in full because we just don't know what he does in 162 game season when you compete. So. If this becomes a trend, right, if, if repeatedly the bullpen is worn down and he can't figure out things until May, which hasn't been the case, right? He usually figures things out. The one thing we don't know is what happens in August, September, year after year, right? We don't know that. So that's like I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to I think ultimately, uh, you know, Jed Hoyer may be frustrated with some of his uh, in-game strategical decisions, but even Ross has talked about how he wants to improve. He's looking for feedback. The best way to get to improve, he's like, it's, sometimes it's hard to self-evaluate uh, in these things because you, you have your own beliefs. But if you get – he's looking forward to the meetings with coaches and players and, and, and the front office so he can get feedback on how to be better. There's not going to be much feedback on how to be better in handling a clubhouse. There's gonna, there should be feedback on how to handle in-game decisions. Is he is he able to adjust? Is he willing to adjust? I I think he's willing to. We have to see him execute it. I'm curious to see how it goes forward. I agree. I, I don't think there's much of a discussion to be had of whether he will be fired or not. I think it's a valuable discussion to think about. Is he like what what mistakes did he make? How can he correct them? And will they be corrected? Uh, and, and we have to we're going to have to see it over the course of another season. How does he handle a bullpen? Another thing is the reality is 
you're you're not criticizing Joe Madden as much in in the 2016 season because there was no reason to uh, nitpick every game. They they kicked ass all season long, right? Then you nitpicked everything in the, in the post. When I say you, I'm just saying all of us. Uh, uh, then we nitpicked everything in every close loss in the postseason, right? Or every decision gets magnified then because it it wasn't perfect in the postseason. They didn't you know barrel through every team. Uh, that October. So, I mean, it's, you know, you, you nitpick things more in 19 than you do in 2016. So there's another aspect there. If, if Jed Hoyer get, gets him, you know, six reliable relievers instead of four, four and a half, whatever he had this season, does, do we feel differently about the way David Ross manages the team? Probably. Uh, but the reality is I think he wore down those relievers and, and I think the debate then becomes, is that necessity? Is this how he works at bullpen? Is this, should he have sacrificed some moments? It, it, like th- those are the debates. And then you can talk about like what makes a good manager. It's, it's just such a more nuanced conversation than anything we can have on a social media platform. But uh, you know, that's where most, of, <laughs> that's where I think most of where we see these discussions in general. But I think when there's no, there's no, and this is certainly not me saying like, David Ross deserves no criticism or anything like that, or you can't blame him for these things. Like you're like all the criticism is like, you know, criticism is fair. It's just about like trying to balance out like, you know, like people want to call him dumb and bald. And, and listen, I I take offense to that because I'm at least half of those things and possibly two. So for the record, (laughs) I have never you. I will admit to chuckling at it when I see it. I have never used it myself, and uh, I will not. I'll I'll plead the fifth on whether it's because I have some close personal friends that uh, would qualify. uh, I just wanted to make the joke that I'm half of those things and maybe both. Okay, that's it. (laughs) He's got a little hair on his head, folks. So I'm pretty sure he's calling himself dumb. I did not ex- expect you to go there, Saad, as I was listening. That, that was uh, interesting. Um, no, I mean, David Ross is clearly, he's not a technocrat. Uh, he came into this job with zero formal experience, and I think uh, there are moments where maybe you see that, but I think he is someone who's open to the suggestions you're talking about because – Look, I mean, bench coach Andy Green was sort of an arranged marriage. I mean, and you can't, like, I saw it last night. Aside of and I were up in the press box. Like, those two guys are walking out after the game together. Like, those guys are, like, inseparable now. Like, Ross has this kind of, like, charisma and ability to relate with people that works for this organization, if he was managing the San Diego Padres right now, like, would he have a whole lot of equity there? No. If David Ross's contract was up right now, would he have the same options that Craig Council will? I mean, clearly not. But this is kind of where the Cubs are now. And, and that's why not making the playoffs is such a big deal, not just for Ross, but it's also... Jed, who's now 0 for 3 in playoff seasons, which makes next year like even more uh, magnified. You know, they're obvious when the team organization makes the playoffs 
everyone gets to draw from that, that they bring in, you know, the scouts and the player development people, and they get to take a lap around Wrigley Field and maybe bring their, their wives to Chicago. And, you know, the business side can kind of uh, sell off that in the off season and heading into spring training. But when you don't, it just totally changes the atmosphere around everything. And when you don't make the playoffs, you have people kind of wondering a little bit about the manager. Or, oh, maybe the front office it could have done a little more to the trade deadline. And, oh, wait, well, why did they not go over the luxury tax again? And that's something that Ricketts would not commit to for next year. Not that we would expect him to, but they certainly should. And then you have all these different departments within baseball operations of, you know, we hear a lot about how just masterful the pitching infrastructure is. And like, it wasn't quite there. And we heard how awesome this defense was. And like my head brain like exploded when Sahade was dropping some of those unheard run stats from September on me. And, you know, I'm still laughing at, I see comments and stuff uh, on our stories or on social media of like, you know, hyping up Matt Shaw and PCA as 2024 contributors. Like what did this season tell you? Like the best parts of this season were largely was the guys that they paid big money to. And clearly you need that steady flow of young, cheap talent. You almost can never win without it. But like singling out one guy here or there, like, no, we, we saw kind of Mervis and all the, the, the group of pitchers that Zahadev alluded to, which is a pretty large number. Um, and that Ross himself tellingly alluded to yesterday. I Zahadev may remember the exact context, but it was something like, hey, uh, there are a lot of building blocks for next year. He's like, yeah, well, you know, there are a lot of pitchers who pitched really well at the end of last season, and we were counting on them big time, and they did not show up at all. That was the essence of what he said. Yeah, I um, think often about the, the 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 dichotomy that we have to hold in our heads about the pitching infrastructure at a development level and sort of at the big league level and how well regarded it is for, I think, good reasons, uh, but yet it it just didn't produce this year i mean other than didn't obviously enough. Javier it, was, Assad, it was good but not yeah it didn't great, enough right I mean, yeah. enough yes especially in the bullpen especially with up down guys where you you know they critically needed that and it didn't it didn't manifest and it ties back to sahara's point about the four relievers who were successful and you know did they really need to pitch three out of four days in july to help hold a four run lead probably not and i think that's where some of that reflection is going to need to be because that, you know, that was a lot of times I don't like to criticize too much in hindsight, but that was one that as it was happening, it was sort of like, boy, I don't know that, that Mark Leiter Jr. needs to pitch again today to, to hold this down. And, um, you know, I think we saw some of that play out and I think to resting the regulars, we, we talked about that. I won't belabor it. Um, I think that will always be a question down the stretch, uh, but I want to wrap it here because you made a point, Mooney, that sticks with me and it 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 carries this whole conversation about why, you know, why are we so fixated on the Cubs' failure to make the playoffs? Why is that such a 
line of demarcation about what makes for a successful year or not successful year. And it's not just because that's how like the baseball world regards it, but for this year, for this Cubs team, why does it feel so bad that they failed to make the playoffs? And I actually think it's not just that it was going to be a nice surprise, that it was going to be the culmination of this, of this year where they were better than people thought they were going to be. And that's the proof, right? Like, I think that's a big part of it because I think some of us evaluating them in March thought, you know, this is a team that has a chance and that would have been a nice, you know, uh, trophy to hold up and say, yep, see, here's the proof. We made the playoffs. You didn't expect it. But I think the unspoken part of that is that nobody thought they were going to go anywhere in the playoffs, right? Like, I don't think they were winning multiple series in the playoffs. Maybe not even one. I just, it was not going to happen. And I know we can't know. Anything can happen. It's a coin, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But come on, this was not a team that was going to go deep in the playoffs with all respect and love to the players who were grinding hard. It just wasn't going to happen. And so I think because we all know that unspoken, but we know it, that's why making the playoffs was so important because it was like, that is, that was going to be the realistic pinnacle of this team and it didn't happen. And now it, 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 it kind of taints the water for the whole, for the whole year. And that sucks. And like I said, I will in the weeks ahead try to get past that and look more broadly at the the stuff Sahade was talking about that that there are it's not just that there are positives to take away from this year there are positives that inform what next year can be like there there's some good stuff and we'll we'll get to that in the weeks ahead um, can I do you want to add yeah anything? can I give my yeah. uh, two gut punch stats real quick just to really <laughs> oh, when, yes. he, when I knew yes. you were when Moody yes. said that I was like. I was like, oh God, because one of them, I so mean, they're, they're both bad. So the, One's really So bad. the record against the Marlins and the Diamondbacks is 3-10, and 0-7 in one-run games. I think that one is, a, I'll give credit to Andy Martinez for pointing that out to me uh, for Marquis. Like that, that one hurts, right? This one was shocking to me. 15 unearned runs in September. 14 of them came in losses in seven losses 14 unearned runs came in seven losses uh what's the kicker to that like they were all like i mean yeah that's that's it right combine, 14 so uh, combine those two things yeah. it's like let it sit for a moment and combine those two things in your head and you realize oh fuck that's really bad yeah. because it's we we saw it happening with some of the errors but it really underscores that like if they just hadn't made the mistakes. It was 14 losses. Yeah, 14 be. losses by combined 13 runs, right? Or seven losses by combined 13 runs, 14 yeah. unearned runs. So that's insane. There are so that's many so, Like, those, that's though. so, like, that one just, like, I they keep finished. saying it, and I, every single time I'm like, what? No. <laughs> like, Can I, let, here's mine of those. In, the, in their last 16 games, the Cubs lost 11 of those 16 games. They outscored yeah. opponents in those 16 games. Because they were all but close they losses. 11. It was the same thing in May, right? <laughs> we talked about. So it's just like, yeah. oh, man. I, I just, yeah. I, like the the unearned, one run, unearned runs one just, I still can't believe it. It's, I still it can't believe how. It hurts like, so it's much. Just so, <laughs> it's just such a gut-wrenching stat for fans. I just can't believe it. 13. Uh, runs 14 hundred runs you got one mooney you want to you want to uh, throw a dong punch in f- here for everybody uh, you, you know I, you know i would i i am stepping back to think about before brett you know before we all 
start talking ourselves into, you know, the you're building upon next year. And I think why this year particularly stings, uh, the Mets win 74 games. The Cardinals finish in last place. The Padres, 82 and 80. You just had some oh, really God. just massively underachieving teams. And I think that we talked about it at the GM meetings. Like those six teams that made the playoffs last year all looked very solid and they all made uh, substantial, what looked to be substantial upgrades. Some more than others, but it looked like it would be really hard to break into that group, even in understanding that, you know, certain things happen over uh, the course of a season. I mean, the Dodgers winning 100 games in a transition year, the Reds looking interesting, the Brewers not going away. I think that's the fun part, right? The challenge of trying to get back there. And, you know, that's why these playoff seasons matter so much. You just never know what's going to happen. There are no guarantees that you're going to have, you know, a 93% chance to make the playoffs shortly after Labor Day uh, next year. And that's why uh, there was very much a sense of realism uh, in that clubhouse yesterday and, you know, why they were not, you know, ready to make any of those big picture assessments or, or go into spin zone and rightly so. We will make that our job in a while. Uh, so this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the athletic. Um, the next pod will be at a, some point later this week. I'm being, I'm not being cagey on purpose. It's, we don't know when the season ending press conference is going to be yet that will set up a lot of the, thing is we would want to talk about on this pod so it'll be sometime later this week i expect and we'll be back at you so keep an eye on your feed and we appreciate you this season uh you know it the the season was challenging uh undoubtedly for those intimately involved with the team but it was there were a lot of ups and downs for us to cover uh from a narrative perspective that i think made it a uniquely challenging year as well uh, but I enjoyed doing the podcast with you guys. So appreciate that. And appreciate all the listeners who take us in throughout the year. And we look forward to doing the same for you this off season. So take care, everyone. Have a good week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.